the story starts, uh, I got a TI-83 for my calculus class in high school. This was actually my first programmable electronic device that was, that was really my own. Once I got over the fact that you could, you know, graph equations that look like boobies, I was really uh, intrigued by its programming abilities. And so, in the context of my calculus class, I realized I could write code that implements various algorithms that could then programmatically solve uh, calculus equations. There's one problem though, and this was that my math teacher would check our calculators uh, during any exam and, and see what programs were on there. What I had to do is I had to basically figure out a way to create a program uh, that would able to solve some of these uh, calc uh, equations without you know, getting caught. Hello, cyber listeners. This is Lorenzo Franceschi Bicchieri, and today we have another special episode of My First Hack. I'm speaking with Patrick Worrell, who worked for the NSA, but is now well known for finding vulnerabilities and bugs in Apple's operating system, macOS. Patrick will tell us about how he hacked into his fancy calculator in high school and how he even hid a backdoor in it. So, hi Patrick, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm great, thanks for having me on. Uh, Stoked to talk nerdy with you today. Yeah, you're actually our second guest, and both uh, both our uh, first two guests are from former Spooks. So yeah, former. We had a. Uh, well, yeah, I don't know, but I don't want to know about that. Uh, don't don't blow your cover here. Um, but yeah, we had um, Emily Crows um, a few weeks ago, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to have you. We, we actually I name dropped you at some point because we were talking about uh, how. Uh, how she, you know, how, you know, she, how she went from uh, being a student to working at the NSA and stuff, and uh, how people can get into cybersecurity. And her main advice was like, yeah, just be curious about computers. And I said, yeah, you know, like if people like Patrick, it really seems like uh, they're nerds that just love what they're doing. She's like, yeah, yeah, I agree. So anyway, awesome. I guess we had to have you as a second uh, guest. Yeah, guest. Uh, so yeah, we're going to talk about your first hack. Uh, you know, we're going to go back in time, although you're pretty young. So that's probably like, what, a couple of years ago. I don't know. Pretty much yesterday. Um, yeah, pretty much yesterday. You're a newbie. Um, so yeah, tell us, uh, what was your first hack? So it's kind of an interesting story. And I, I like that you mentioned kind of the curiosity thing, because just a little backstory, I, I, I like to think about what motivates hackers. And here we're talking about, you know, true hackers, not necessarily cyber criminals per se. And I really think it's it's kind of this this fundamental curiosity of really wanting to know how something really works. Um, I do think then there's also kind of some interest in, you know, beating the system, sticking it to the man. Um, so my first at hack actually has elements of, of both of this. There's, there's definitely some curiosity and, you know, wanting to, to beat the system, sticking it, sticking it to the man who <laughs> I always have to laugh because uh, in my case, this was my lovely uh, calculus teacher. So the story starts, uh, I got a TI-83 for my calculus class in high school. And this was actually my first programmable 
electric electronic device that was that was really my own. Uh, I didn't really grow up with computers, televisions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I was really fond of of this device. I was really fascinated. And, you know, <laughs> once I got over the fact that you could, you know, graph equations that look like boobies, you know, come on, high school boys, this is what we do. <laughs> I was really, yeah, fair, fair. <laughs> I was really uh, intrigued by, captivated by its programming abilities. I mean, the fact that you could extend a, a device's capabilities and write code to allow it to do all sorts of neat things was just really in- intriguing to me. I was, I was really curious. Now, I won't caveat, I didn't know how to code, so this was uh, a way for me also to teach myself how to uh, program, right? And so in the context of my calculus class, I realized I could write code that implements various algorithms that could then programmatically solve uh, calculus equations. Hmm. And you know, I thought, hey, this would be a great wor- way to learn how to code, how to program, which was something that I really wanted to kind of uh, learn. And also, sure, a way to kind of ace my calculus class. There's one problem though, and this was that my math teacher would check our calculators uh, during any exam and, and see what programs were on there. He would look at what was installed, run some of them, you know, because he obviously understood the capabilities, uh, you know, of these calculators. And so what I had to do is I had to basically figure out a way to create a program uh, that would able to solve some of these uh, calc uh, equations without you know getting caught. So my hack uh, was to create a very benign looking program uh, that would ask you, you know, hey, something like, uh, give me a decimal place and I will give you the digit of pi. Or given a, a, a calendar date, it would give you the day of the week. So you could say, what day is, you know, 420-2000 and it would say Thursday. Mm-hmm. However, if you put in a special value at the menu prompt, it would take you to kind of like a secret menu that then had the ability to solve uh, these calc equations. So what I did was I basically wrote equations and implemented these programmatically to, for example, uh, use these different methods to uh, approximate integrals during an exam. So the hack was then basically this program that had, you know, a backdoor. Uh, and so, you know, never got caught, <laughs> definitely aced my, uh, my, my calculus class. But really, looking at it in retrospect, incidentally, uh, coding up these algorithms for these calculus equations gave me an incredible depth of understanding of them, right? When you're writing mm-hmm. or implementing uh, some code that, you know, is solving equations, you're going to gain a really in-depth understanding of those equations and then you're going to test your code and so end result i definitely understood these calculus equations better than any of my classmates and so that to me is kind of ties back to the goals we mentioned of of, of true hacker it's really a curiosity and a, and a learning thing um and so if i look back again this first hack was in a way very pivotal. It definitely helped me pass my classes, which you know helped me get into college. Um, and I have no problem talking about this now because I feel like the statute of limitations have expired. But it also really piqued my interest in backdoors, code obfuscation, mm-hmm. Trojans. And that is actually my career today is analyzing such code and how to detect mm-hmm. them and protect, protect that. So 
you know, I'm very comfortable talking about this, you know, this first hack. It's obviously wasn't anything uh, illegal because I really came out of it uh, learning a lot, understanding how to program, uh, remembering these calculus equations even today, which is, <laughs> is definitely no small feat. Uh, and I really feel it really helped kick off uh, my, my career. So that's kind of a nutshell, uh, my, first, my first hack, my first foray into uh, mm-hmm. you know, programming backdoors, trying to beat the system, uh, et cetera, et cetera. That's, yeah, that's a really fun story. I do, I didn't ever had like such a sophisticated calculator, but I remember my first trip to the US, I went to New York with my parents and I bought like a, one of those uh, Casio, so like mini computers, yeah, it's like yeah. a, not even a tablet, you know, like it had like a contacts. Uh, he had like some rudimentary video game. I don't remember even, I don't remember. I think it was poker actually. Yeah, he had like a poker video game that I used a lot in high school when I was bored. Uh, but it, you couldn't really program it as far as I know. Um, but yeah, it's cool to think about these small computers that were already programmable and, you know, gave uh, kids like you an opportunity to code. Um, I guess my first question here is, uh, you know, a lot of uh, our listeners will probably probably know you from you know your twitter your talks but hopefully also for the tools that you've been um, making and sharing for free um you know tools for mac security for mac um so i'm curious like did you share this secret with any of your uh classmates this secret uh you know calculus backdoor program hmm what should i admit to uh you know after a while it, it, it became common knowledge that you know patrick would write programs that would help uh share that so i, I always like to freely share my information um you know kind of how i do that but at the same time um you know i always kind of held on to this belief that uh you know i'm it's, it's good to kind of give other people the tools uh and the technologies and, and the know-how versus just maybe handing them off uh you know, because really the goal for me was, uh, you know, yeah, I wanted to do well on my exams, but it was also really just this curiosity. So I kind of always had at least some principle uh, in mind that, um, you know, this should be a learning opportunity, even for other classmates, if they so chose. Mm-hmm. So be honest, how much uh, did your grade change before and after the backdoor? <laughs> well, I am fortunate enough to do pretty well academically. So I had A's before and, and A's afterwards. <laughs> so <laughs> in retrospect, oh, so you just made it a little easier for yourself. <laughs> yeah. And it was really just the way I think to double check, uh, because you always have to show all your work anyways. Mm-hmm. And like I said, once I actually sat down and I remember I coded this up during my spring break which gives you an idea of how cool a high school kid I was, right? Uh, you know, all my friends were like flying to, uh, you know, Cancun or, or Florida at least, um, kind of came from a very wealthy uh, high school. I, uh, you know, had zero dollars as a high school kid. So I was like, well, I'm going to stay home and learn how to uh, implement calculus equations uh, in TI basic. <laughs> Well, jokes on them because now you live in Hawaii and uh, you fly all over the world. Well, except this year yeah. with COVID, but usually you fly to all of these conferences. So yeah, I think you came out uh, winning this this game. Yeah, no, I feel very fortunate in that regards, definitely. So, so how was like how long did it take you to figure out? Well, the first of all, you could do that on the calculator, and also you know to write the whole code, you know the whole program and figure out that you could put a backdoor so that it would be you know, non-detectable to, to a scan, I guess, uh, the, the teacher's scan. Yeah. So, uh, you know, understanding the capabilities of the calculator was, uh, pretty clear. Uh, you know, there was kind of games you could download and there was other programs that would 
do other oh, wow. computations. So uh, for me, it was just then this intriguing curiosity, like how can I figure out how to do that? Um, you know, I went to high school, you know, graduated, I believe it was 2001, definitely dating myself a little here, but this is really when kind of computers and technology was really starting to, to, to blossom. Um, so I knew I really wanted to get into to programming. Uh, programming was interesting because it's one of those things that has this kind of strange learning curve, or at least it did for me and talking to others anecdotally, it seems to be similar where, you know, it's this almost like different mindset. So at the beginning, it's not something that just comes naturally. Uh, you kind of struggle with it. Um, and then kind of there's this moment where it just clicks. And from then on, it's like, you know, you can pick up new programming languages and it almost becomes second nature. So I, I mentioned this because it definitely took me a while because, you know, uh, kind of figuring out the syntax of the programming language. And then, you know, if you uh, use the wrong keyword or, you know, in some programming languages, you use the wrong indentation or you forget a semicolon, like there's going to be a rather obtuse compiler error, which takes a while to figure out. So it's this very kind of like trial and error process at the beginning. Um, so it, it, you know, definitely took me, I would say, uh, you know, days, if not weeks to code up even some of the basic calculus uh, equations, because one, I was, you know, learning a my first programming language. So all the concepts of you know, what a variable is and, you know, control flow and, you know, Boolean expressions. Those are all kind of new concepts. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, coding up uh, algorithms to solve calculus equations in, you know, TI basic is probably not the easiest way to start as well. So, um, but it, it took me a while and it's even today, I'm not like a super fast programmer. Um, you know, it's something I, mm -hmm. I would never win like a speed competition in that capacity. Um, yeah, I really enjoy it. It's a great kind of way to learn and you really gain a fundamental understanding of whatever you're implementing this in, in this in this specific case, uh, you know, calculus equations for approximating integrals. Yeah, I'm not a coder, but everyone says that like uh, by learning code, you really understand how machines work, how computers work. And you sort of like change the way you look at them. And I'm actually curious, like was there at the time, was there any resource to learn TI basic online or you basically started from scratch and just taught yourself by trial and error? Uh, I remember I'd go to the library and I would check out, um, there were some programming books. I remember there was assembly language, language programming books. And, hmm. you know, I knew that assembly language was kind of the lowest level in terms of closest to the, to the metal, closest to the, um, you know, the CPU. And so you could do, it was in a way the most powerful programming language. And so I kind of started there and those books were just so hard to digest. I mean, you're trying to understand like hex, uh, you know, and, and binary code. And, you know, it's just like, it just puts your brain in, into a loop. But there yeah, were some... You're a teen also. <laughs> I know. I was like, I should be out like talking to girls or something. But like, <laughs> instead I'm like in the library reading, you know, uh, assembly code books. <laughs> Again, definitely the coolest high school kid. Um... But yeah, there were some kind of online resources and, and tutorials, definitely uh, not as much as, as today, um, but there, there were some. And that's a really a thing I've noticed too with, with hackers or you know, even just computer uh, programmers, those that really kind of live and breathe their, their career is you know, this, this love of, of learning. Uh, you know, and for example, my high school at the time had no programming classes. The only computer class we had, and I say that in quotes, was like learning how to type. Uh, and so if you were interested wow. in programming or wanted to learn more about computers, the onus was on you to go out and take uh, that, that initiative. And I've seen this very commonly with people who excel, uh, especially in the 
the cybersecurity field, you know, really some of the top hackers. Um, and there's a quote at the beginning of the Shell Coders Handbook, which is this kind of seminal book that was uh, published in, uh, I believe, 2001 or 2003 or four, about exploits and hacking. And there's a quote in it, and the general idea is, or the quote says, you know, this is dedicated to those that understand hacking is is not a nine to five job. It's really a mentality. It's it's a, it's a way of life. And it really goes back to this curiosity and just this, this fascination of learning and one of figuring out how things do. Not generally for personal gain. I mean, you know, being able to, you know, pop a shell is cool or, you know, trick your friends into something. Like, you know, those are all neat kind of side effects. But um, I really found people who have this fundamental and crave this curiosity really you know, are the ones who ultimately, uh, in my opinion, kind of really thrive in, in, in the hacker, hacker scene. Yeah, it's a very vocational job. I think uh, jo- journalism is a little, or writing is a little bit like that too. If you don't enjoy doing it, you're exactly. not going to be good at yeah. it. And so it's important to, to let people know that because cybersecurity hacking, you know, can be a very lucrative career with a lot of opportunities to work remotely and travel. Uh, so in some ways, it's definitely the dream job. But if it's not something you fundamentally enjoy, it's going to be like pulling teeth. And I imagine, like you said, mm-hmm. journalism, something similar where there's a lot of perks, mm-hmm. um, but if you don't enjoy writing, it's, it's going to be the worst. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So do you remember any specific time you used it that was, you know, remarkable? Maybe because like, I don't know, you hadn't studied enough for that test and it really helped you. Or maybe the teacher was very close to catching it and <laughs> you didn't. And that's that's the interesting thing is I really don't have any specific memories of, you know, even using it in a, an exam per se, maybe to check some answers or something. But again, I really felt so prepared after coding this up. I felt like I had such a, you know, complete understanding of, of these algorithms, of these calculus equations um, that, you know, using it was almost secondary, right? It was more about, and this is very cliche, it was more about the journey versus the destination. So, um, you know, in that way, it was almost like not that exciting once it was done and all coded up and working. (laughs) It's like, yeah, I could like double check my, uh, you know, answers on the exam or uh, my homework assignments I could do quicker. But, you know, I had spent a week coding this up. So really from like a return on investment time-wise point of view, uh, at least in the short term, it really wasn't very efficient. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm, I'm I'm sure that a lot of our listeners are wondering, even those that know you and know your a little bit of your career, like how did you go from that? You know, how did you go from teaching yourself TI basic and uh, having a, a basic understanding of backdoors and and malware, I guess? Uh, how did you go from that to you know working at NSA and then becoming one of the most well known you know cybersecurity speakers and experts? Like how how does the, how did that happen and and what would you tell, you know, younger wannabe hackers? Yeah, that's that's a great question. 
because I feel very fortunate where I am now. And so I feel like the path I took might be an illustrative example of, of one way that, you know, someone could potentially uh, kind of get to this, this end goal. Um, so yeah, I went off to school. Um, I chose the university of Hawaii. Uh, <laughs> I mentioned in high school, you yes. know, I was, I was definitely, um, I actually lived by myself and I was in this tiny apartment that didn't have heat. And so I'd wake up every morning and this was in Connecticut and it would just be so cold. And so I'd have to like jump in my car, which also didn't have heat and like beeline it to school and, and the school had heat. So that was like, hooray, this is, this is, this is good. And so, uh, when we were applying for colleges, a lot of my friends were going off to like Yale, these Ivy league East coast schools. And I was like, I just want to go somewhere warm. Like, and this is a true story. So I said, you know, there's, there's colleges in Florida, there's colleges in, in, uh, you know, California. And I was like, wait a minute, Hawaii. And I had never been to Hawaii. I didn't know anything about Hawaii, but you know, I, I applied and, uh, you know, the University of Hawaii, uh, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty easy to get into. Let's say it's not world renowned for its academics. Um, so I kind of, uh, hopped on a plane, moved out to Hawaii and, um, I knew I wanted to learn more about computers. And so I, I, I enrolled in their computer science program. But the interesting thing was, you know, it was a very standard, typical computer science program. So we learned programming languages, data structures, software engineering, took some crypto courses, but there was really no cybersecurity courses. Um, and so again, it was really up to uh, me and kind of my passion to, you know, learn outside of class. Uh, you know, so I read a lot of um, the old school, like virus uh, uh, online tutorials, you know, read more assembly language. And so that was kind of interesting because at that time, basically no other university was, you know, teaching these cybersecurity classes. So a lot of the hackers at that time, again, were kind of uh, had to basically self-learn, which again, I think is a, a hallmark of a successful hacker or cybersecurity expert. So in a way, I still believe that where you go to college doesn't matter as much as your just desire and motivation and your curiosity. I mean, sure, if you're able to go to MIT or Stanford and study computers there, like by all means, don't turn that down. But, you know, in our career as a cybersecurity expert, you know, your college almost doesn't matter. So that's one thing I really like to tell people, you know, like go to the community college, go to the cheap in-state school, you know, it's, it's really more about what you learn um, outside. So I was lucky enough then to, um, I did a short internship at NASA, where we uh, got to work on some software for the space shuttles, really neat. But again, I was like, you know, I want to do computer viruses and hacking and malware. So, uh, you know, the NSA was also uh, hiring at the time and I did again an internship with them and then took a full-time job. And I remember during my interview there, they asked me if I had reverse engineered any games or, you know, cracked any software. And I'm like, is this a trick question? Because like, this is essentially the US government asking me if I've like, you know, done anything illegal. And I, you know, of course I had, <laughs> or, you know, because uh, reverse engineering protection schemes, writing uh, key gens is really kind of a great way to cut your teeth uh, in the reverse engineering scene. And, you know, so I, I was honest. I was like, see NSA, they're going to, they're going to know if I'm lying anyways. So they probably I, already know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah, you know, uh, I was like, I'm not, I don't necessarily, if I create a key gen, I don't release the code, but you know, I use it as an opportunity to reverse engineer. And, you know, that's really what they were looking for is individuals who had had some experience reverse engineering, uh, maybe breaking copyright schemes, um, doing some kind of, um, you know, hacking type stuff in, in that capacity. So that's really how I then got dialed 
into the NSA. I did some stints. Uh, I did a tour in a crypto office. I did another tour in uh, an office called the Malicious Code Analysis Office, which is really interesting. I was able to reverse engineer and analyze uh, malware and computer viruses used in uh, intrusions against DOD systems. So I saw some really neat wow. custom high-end uh, malware and able to reverse engineer yeah. it and learn. I then transitioned to the offensive side where I developed cyber capabilities. Um, I remember, again, I'm still kind of a this college kid doing this internship and uh, I feel like I can say this now. But basically, they gave me a network scan of a network that they were interested in and they said, here are the services and here's the ports, like, you know, find a way in. So I reverse some, reverse engineered some of the protocols, some of the uh, software that was running on the system, found a nice vulnerability and, you know, the rest is history. <laughs> Yeah, this was when you were just a, an intern, right? Yeah. So one, I was, it was an amazing opportunity that like, you know, it's kind of like trial by fire. I mean, you had mentors and people helping you, but the fact that immediately you were given some really like cool projects. So I really like to talk a lot about the NSA and in the sense of it being a really amazing career path, because it's one of the few mm. places in the world where you can get this incredible uh, offensive cybersecurity experience which I think translates incredibly well into the defensive side as well. I always argue that it's very difficult to, for example, build defensive tools or understand how to defend a network if you haven't been on the other side. Um, and the NSA is one of those places where you get an opportunity to uh, learn and actually, you know, in a hands-on manner, create uh, offensive capabilities, understand how an advanced nation state operates, um, which I think is invaluable for, as I said, kind of uh, if you end up then on the defensive side, kind of with that armed with that understanding. Um, and yeah, well, since you're, since we're talking about this, I guess uh, I did have one like last very easy question for you, kind of a softball. So <laughs> how many of your exploits and tools were dumped by the shadow brokers? <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to answer that directly, but I will caveat that occasionally uh, I see research that come out and I'm always like, huh, that, that looks really familiar. And it's interesting because sometimes it's, you know, 10 plus years down the road. There's part of me that recognizes that. <laughs> so yeah, again, this goes back to like cutting edge work that you can only really do for a government institution. And, and just, uh, I've, I've, I just thought of a, one, another question, like, does it make it hard to get in another job? Uh, you know, the fact that you cannot, you know, if someone is recruiting you or like you're going through interviews, you cannot really tell them what you were doing. Like, does it make it hard? Or I guess the stamp of approval of the NSA is more important than showing what you were doing there. Fair. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's a really good question because you really can't talk to the specifics uh, or mm -hmm. even the successes you, you had. Um, and so I think nowadays, though, the NSA is really understood as this uh, really good, I would say, training ground where people, as we talked about, can get invaluable experience. So as you noted, I feel like the stamp of approval really uh, is incredible. So, again, when I talk to you know college kids or we talk about kind of career paths, again, that's a huge benefit. You can go work at the NSA. You can learn a lot, hands-on experience. And then if you want to transition to something a little more public or, you know, something that you can work remotely from, right? There's a lot of, of, of pros mm -hmm. to hopping to the private sector. Um, you know, 
basically anybody is going to hire you. Uh, you know, Google, the tech companies. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the Russians would be interested. <laughs> not not saying you should go that route, but a little bit more <laughs> risky. I don't know if that's uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, ransomware gangs might be knocking on your door. But you know, all joking aside, it is it really opens up the door for basically any job in a cybersecurity field. Mm-hmm. And I think even if you can't talk about the specifics, you can illustrate your your technical uh, capabilities. So you know, I think it's almost. The opposite, instead of especially now it being it, for preventing you from from getting hired, it's it's really just the opposite, and it's just this incredible um, foundational that really gives you unparalleled, I would say, job security and, and career opportunities when you move into the the, um, the private sector. Yeah, and I have to note that not everyone is uh, is as good as you are, and not the. Um disclosing secrets because especially a few years ago there were like so many former NSA or DOD people on LinkedIn that just dropped you know <laughs> classified programs names in their bios and th- those were really the golden golden days uh, I think yeah. Chris Sagoyan he's uh, like his favorite pastime was going on on LinkedIn and just finding uh, top secret uh, names and then FOIA in that but I think now it's uh, way less uh, common a lot of people are smarter than that so yeah, that did that. Did, that was a little disconcerting, and I was like, because at the NSA they really, you know, let you know, like, hey, you know, you just can't chat chat about this stuff, and you know, you agree to that, and I think it's part of the understanding too. If you believe in the mission and what NSA is doing by revealing that information, there could be some, you know, national security implications. Um, so it's always it was a little tough for me when I saw people kind of go out and disclose that. Yeah, you don't want to end up in prison or you know in exile in Russia. <laughs> you know? True. And also just, Uh, I would say, undermining like the great work that the NSA does. I mean, you know, there's obviously that's an opinionated topic, but I feel like if you go work there and see what they're doing, I mean, they are really striving to, you know, make sure, uh, you know, the U.S. were were safe and sound and keeping an eye on, you know, uh, terrorist operations and what foreign adversaries who, you know, maybe don't wish the best for us are, are doing. So, um, there's also, I think, some some impact that people might uh, not always take into consideration. So at least that's my that's my take on the matter. Well, thank you so much. This was really fun as usual. Always a pleasure talking to you. And uh, yeah, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Lenzo. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 